Um, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Tyler Radke. I cover the data and analytics and vertical software space here at City. And for our next presentation, we have uh, Elastic, and we're, we're happy to have both uh, the co-founder and CEO, Shay Bannon, and uh, Janesh Morjani, the, the CFO. And so thank you guys for, for joining us today. Thanks, Tyler. Happy to be here. So, uh, Shai, I thought we'd just start off uh, at, a, at a high level. I mean, um, I think most folks, you know, with, with are, know that Elastic is synonymous with search, but they may not really know exactly what that means, what different use cases you address. Uh, maybe could you talk about the, the history of the company, uh, elaborate on the technology stack, and, and kind of where you fit uh, in, in terms of the markets you sit and, and, and you know, maybe relative to other companies out there that, that folks are familiar with. Yeah, happy to. So, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've personally been involved in search for many years now, closing in in 15 years. And, you know, when I think about search, uh, it's a, a very foundational level. And it is around the fact that, you know, as data volumes grow and people put more and more value into the data that they generate and aggregate and being able to derive any type of insight out of it. Search is such a foundational way of going explore data. You know, it's like once you get a wall of text or a website or any type of data that you have, the first instinct that you have is just to be able to go and search it. And at the very, very core level, we want to go and be the place where people can go and search across their data. And it doesn't really matter, matter what data they have, right? It can be a a list of e-commerce uh, uh, products on a website. It can be application logs uh, out of the observability market, or it can be security events for someone to go and threat hunt against. Uh, when we started, the biggest use case that we had was put a search box on your website, right? It's like Wikipedia uses us to go as, as the engine that powers search, for example. Uh, so just the very natural, put, take a search box, put it on the website, put it on an application on your iPhone, and take all of that data that you have that represents that application and make it searchable. Uh, over the years, users have started to use us more and more, and some other use cases became more significant. Um, one of them is IT operation logs, and then together with APM and infrastructure monitoring is now known as observability. And again, like the need is just very simple. I want to take a search box and put it on my infrastructure and being able to go and search it and make sure that our applications are running, they're up, they're healthy, uh, everything is operating at the right level. Um, and then once you put um, IT, IT operation logs into, uh, into something like Elastic, you can also look at them from a security perspective. So threat hunters started to use our software to just be able to go and search the breadth of security events that you can have to find people who might hack into the system. Um, so we evolved as, as a company. Uh, we have three main solutions. Enterprise search that I mentioned, observability and security. All three of them are built on top of a single technology stack or within a single technology stack, if it makes sense. Uh, that is all driven by search uh, and it still can be used to power many, many different use cases. That's our technology stack. That's what we try to bring to our users. And I got go back. It's very, very almost like first principle level need of users that they want to do the first time. Uh, when they have data around them. They just want to go and search it. And, and that's what we try to enable. Uh, and sticking at the, the, the high level, I mean, and you, you touched on this a little bit, how 
you know, the, the product offerings have kind of evolved over, you know, the recent years into, into those three key initiatives, but maybe just talk about, um, you know, the, the company strategy in, in more detail. I, I think nearly a year ago, you did close the acquisition of Endgame, which was an, an endpoint security company. Um, you know, I think at the time there, there were at least some questions we were getting with from investors is, you know, um, is, is this going to be too distracting for Elastic? Is they try to go after all these different market opportunities, you know, perhaps spreading themselves too thin. Um, I guess, how, how would you just kind of uh, describe your, your go-to-market and, and evolution of your product messaging, you know, just kind of over the last two years? I mean, it seems like you, you've gotten more focused, but would love to kind of hear you uh, dive into that a little bit. Sure. Um, so I'll start with, uh, with just saying that we have a free and open distribution at Elastic. So we have the ability to go and look into all the usages that our users are just being imaginative in terms of using us. And, uh, and that's pretty amazing because uh, you know, we, we build this foundational level of technology around search, but then our users take and use, it, use us in many different ways. Uh, so to a degree, we have this ability of looking into the future, if you will, and seeing where users will end up using us in the future. Uh, when we started Elastic, uh, we were being used more in the enterprise search use cases, uh, but users started to put application logs into Elastic uh, or oper IT operation logs. Uh, and we started to be using that use case and we decided to double down on it because it became an, an important enough use cases to start to package a solution, you know, if you will, on top of it. Uh, when we started to be using the application logs, users started to put application performance monitoring data, APM, uh, into Elastic, Elasticsearch, because the combination of both APM and logs is actually what's yeah, extremely valuable. So we decided to get into the APM market about three years ago uh, and almost like pulled that future forward uh, that today we look around and say it's pretty obvious, right? It's called observability. Uh, and, and it's pretty obvious that APM and logs are actually features of, of a bigger product or a bigger, bigger opportunity that we have in the operation space or the DevOps space. The same thing happened in security. Uh, when we started to look at our opportunity that we have in security, there's the obvious step that we would take, and that's getting into the SIEM market, S-I-E-M, which is connect to all the various data sources that you have, uh, firewalls, network, host, you know, all the different cloud-based data and bring it into a single place and allow people to hunt uh, and write rules, uh, apply machine learning uh, uh, algorithms or AI on top of it to be able to address that opportunity in the security market. But, when, but then when we looked at it more closely, uh, we also saw the fact that host space protection is actually the place where you, you generate a significant amount of data that ends up fitting into the SIM market. Um, and the same way that when we looked at uh, logs and at APM, and we said it's a it's a wonderful addition to logs, and it's going to be a you know a single go-to market motion or a single um, a single use case in the future. We looked at SIM and endpoint protection or endpoint security, and we thought that it made sense to try to combine them. Um, so we did that a year ago. It felt very natural to us as a company, uh, even though externally it might seem like two different markets. Um, and we do think that these two markets are combining and, and, you know, while you observe for security events, why not protect it? Uh, another reason why we got into this market, we always love to delight our users with more, give them the expected and, but also deliver on the unexpected. 
when we go to our logging users, especially uh, you know two years ago or a year ago, and we also gave them APM, they were delighted, right? Because we can give them more for the same pricing and packaging. Uh, and we want to do the same thing for the security user, user base. We want to be able to go and bring them more for SIM, but we also want to go back to our observability user base and bring them more when it comes to endpoint protection and security in general. Uh, so that's the, you know, those are the things that we get excited about in, in being able to pull this future forward and you know, collapse maybe some boundaries or some line that are drones uh, within markets or within products uh, and try to go and deliver the best user experience within them. Okay. It, and, and sticking on that theme, I mean, the, the related question that we, we get asked often is how does Elastic fit into the broader ecosystem um, you know, with, within all those markets, right? So you have companies like Splunk and Datadog, New Relic, AppDynamic, Sumo Logic. Um, like what, what is Elastic's key um, differentiator and, and maybe how do you view themselves, how do you view yourselves as in, in relation to those vendors? And I imagine, you know, most, most companies like, you know, for instance, at City, it's like we, we use most of those vendors in, internally. And so how do you kind of, view yourselves in, in relation to those? Are you more complementary, um, solving a different use case, or, or are you kind of full head-to-head -head competitors? Yeah, uh, sure. So, I mean, within the specific solutions that we play at, enterprise search, observability, or security, I mean, we're building the products to be the best product within that market. And we do that because we think our users deserve that, that bet on our products or want to go and adopt our product, deserve the best, the best product. Uh, and our customers. So our goal is to go and build the best um, endpoint security uh, product out there. We actually joined forces with Endgame that was always ranked as one of the best endpoint security solutions out there. Uh, so even when we join forces with other companies, we want to join forces with the best within within their respective markets. Um, and and you know that that's our northern star. Uh, things that I, I think makes us. Um, uh, unique in how we we go to market within these solutions. I think the first one is that uh, we're all built on top of a single technology solution, the Elastic Stack. So built on top of Elasticsearch, uh, on top of Kibana. Those are like two uh, of the most popular products in the world today. Uh, and and we work really hard to make it happen. Like building on a single technology stack or a single platform that requires a lot of engineering efforts but it manifests itself in significant leverage across all the solutions. If we make search fast, we make search fast for threat hunters in SIM, we make it fast for DevOps people in observability, and obviously we make it fast for any users that uses uh, their search box on Instacart or Wikipedia or something like that, right? So it's like we have these power plays uh, that are reflected through the single technology stack. And I think because we have the opportunity to look at everything through a single prism of data and how do we make it searchable and how do we empower users through the power of search, it means that we treat these things differently. And, and to me, so far, it's been proven to pull a future forward, right? It's like a, a, a great example is single product, like pricing and packaging that we've been providing to our users since day one. And we don't charge users based on hosts or applications for APM or endpoints for endpoints. It's all about the data, the values in the data that this resonates really well with our customer base and they pay for what they use. Um, and that's another effort for us to try to 
just focus on collapsing all of these use cases into one and it's just another data stream, just another you know, feature that you have and doubling down on that to our customer base. And I think that that ends up creating a very strong, healthy and both expected and surprising relationship to our customers where we keep on delivering more. I see, I see. Uh, Janesh, I wanted to turn things over to you and, um, you know, maybe just specifically on the most recent results. Uh, we have been getting uh, a, lot, a fair amount of questions just around folks trying to understand uh, your guidance, which looks pretty conservative in, in the context of recent growth trends. Uh, so, you know, you recently came off of a, a really strong Q1 with most leading indicators, you know, whether it was currency adjusted billings or bookings and revenue you know, pointing to high 40s growth, um, yet annual revenue guidance kind of points us to, in the back half of the year um, towards only the high 20s. So maybe just first talk us through the puts and takes of the quarter and, and how it played out relative to your expectations. Yeah, happy to, Tyler. So, you know, as you said, uh, Q1 was a strong quarter for us. Uh, we're really pleased with the performance that we delivered in the quarter and how the team executed. Um, just to recap that, we reported 44% growth on the revenue side, 86% in terms of SaaS revenue growth, and just tr strong results down the rest of the P&L and on the cash flow side as well. Um, in terms of the demand environment and, and the puts and takes there, I'd, I'd say broadly, uh, things played out as we expected. It, it was a mixed environment. We did uh, see sales cycles get a little bit longer. Uh, customers continued to scrutinize spending a little bit more than they had in the past, uh, just against the backdrop of what I think is the biggest economic shock that we've all seen in recent history. Uh, but on the other hand, customers also, in terms of tailwinds, as they reconsider their spending budgets, uh, their priorities are now increasingly shifting to areas where our solutions are well aligned. And that's across enterprise search observability as well as security. So we saw some, some tailwinds from that. And then of course, with respect to verticals, as everyone knows, there are some uh, verticals that are beneficiaries of COVID and, and some that are um, impacted adversely by it. Uh, but just to think about the guidance and the model and how I see it playing out, uh, when we reported back in early June for Q4 and we were laying out our guidance model for the year, we did state at the time that we'd likely see some headwinds associated with COVID-19, um, and that's how things played out. Uh, and so we're just staying consistent with the framework uh, that we had laid out back then. And, and just to recap that, because the effects of COVID-19 are uncertain, um, we looked at the model under many different scenarios. Uh, we've one aspect of our business that, by the way, we are quite proud about is that we've got strong diversification across um, many different dimensions, whether you're looking at new and expansion or renewals or looking at the business by verticals or by geographies or by segments. Um, and the effects of COVID can appear really in any of those dimensions. So we looked at it really across all of those and eventually built our plan on the premise that we'd see these billings headwinds for a couple of quarters uh, and then a more gradual recovery over time beyond that. Uh, so we've, generally speaking, I think, stuck to that model. Uh, from a revenue perspective, one of the impacts to keep in mind is that, you know, because of the way our fiscal year turns out, because we've, we've got these billings headwinds in the early part of the fiscal year, the effect on revenue uh, takes time, but it, um, you know, it plays out for the full four quarters of, of this fiscal year. Uh, if, the, if the headwinds had been experienced later in the year, then it wouldn't have had as much, as much of an impact on revenue. So that's just... Uh, a timing factor to keep in mind as well. But broadly, I'd say we, we're quite pleased with, um, with how things turned out. 
Uh, we are, we're op very optimistic about the longer term opportunity as well. It remains large and we think we're very well positioned as Shai was explaining. So we've started to also now gradually increase our investments <coughs> towards that goal. And, and that's reflected in the rest of the, uh, the, the margin profile for the business. I see. That's helpful. And, and Janesh, when, um, just to clarify, so you, you talked about Billings headwinds in the, in the first half of the year. Um, you know, I, I think your reported billings growth in, in Q1 um, were, you know, in, in the 40s, right? Which right. Uh, I, you know, I don't think were, uh, to, to me at least, relative to where the street was, didn't seem like much of a headwind. I guess, what, what do you exactly mean by headwind? Is it just kind of lower year-over-year growth relative to what you, you saw a year ago? Because I think, you know, I, I've heard from some investors, it, it didn't seem like there were much headwinds at all with respect to billings in, in Q1. So, um, you know, were, were there any factors driving, um, you know, an abnormally strong billings performance in Q1 that, that you want to call out or just help us walk us through that? Yeah, it, it, and Tyler, you're right. I mean, billings overall came in in, in the mid-40s, which was really uh, strong from our perspective. The one uh, thing I'll, I'll point out there, which is um, something I mentioned on, on the earnings call as well, that uh, as I think a lot of people know in our in our business model, even though customers contract with us for multi-year periods, uh, we invoice them only annually typically. And in, in, in any particular quarter, there's always some puts and takes where somebody wants to be invoiced up front for an entire uh, multi-year contract, or there's sometimes customers that uh, want billing spread out over time. Usually those tend to be pretty small, but uh, this time around in Q1, uh, we had about uh, the benefit of about $5 million of a multi-year billing that we, uh, we build in the quarter. Uh, and so I did call that out. And you know, once you consider the effects of that on billings, just given the fact that the denominator for billings was, was a smaller number uh, last year, uh, that can have an impact in terms of how people think about the billings growth rate. And, and when I talked about the headwinds, it was really in the context of uh, you know, not any one particular metric, but more broadly what we're seeing in the business. Uh, so, you know, billings growth rates in the mid 40s, but to be adjusted for that, um, for that one call out. Uh, I, I talked about our net expansion rate, which continues to be above 130%, but we did see that slowing by a few percentage points. Uh, the effects of COVID don't show up in any one place. It's, it's a little bit more of a diffused effect in many different parts of the business that can collectively add up. Uh, and so that's what I was really referring to. Okay. And and last question on the just kind of demand environment and, and guidance. I, I guess, what are your assumptions in your um, base case for Q2, you know, from a business demand perspective relative to what you saw in, in Q1? Are, are you assuming kind of the same type of macro environment and, and closure rates? Just Just help us think through that, um, you know, relative to what, what you experienced in Q1? Yeah, in, in Q1, I'd say, you know, if I think about how Q1 unfolded, it was generally consistent. Uh, we saw, you know, pretty strong uh, activity in terms of top of funnel activity that people normally see around things like attendance at, at webinars and virtual conferences and uh, momentum around pipeline generation um, and so forth. And, and that was generally consistent over the course of Q1. And, and so we, we assumed that we'd continue to see uh, generally similar levels of, of activity with respect to Q2. Um, and then, you know, as I think about closure rates and how, um, how that all eventually translates into real business, again, I'd say Q1 played out consistently. Uh, there's always the, the effect of 
timing where you can have you know a few transactions that might get pulled in or pushed out. Um, uh, but generally speaking, I'd, I'd characterize the environment as being consistent over the course of Q1. And, and again, that's the way we're thinking about Q2 as well. Um, you know, we'll see how that translates uh, in terms of the, the actual performance for the quarter, because again, there are many puts and takes that can, uh, can cause things to vary. Uh, but we're not fundamentally modeling any significant um, either improvement or worsening in the quarter. Okay. Okay. Super helpful. So, uh, Shai, I wanted to go back to, to you on, on the product side. And I, th I think, um, you know, you touched on this on, on the last call, but the, the new 7.9 release, um, at least to me, seemed like a pretty, um, you know, significant release. And it, it seemed like you were pretty excited about it um, on, on the call. And I guess, how should we think about the 7.9 release in, relative to, you know, to other releases and, um, you know, maybe just walk us through at a high level, like what you're most excited about it. To me, it seemed like this, this agentless approach was um, pretty unique and, you know, helping customers be a lot more efficient, but just kind of walk us through, contextualize the 7.9 release relative to other product releases and, and why you're super excited about it. Yeah, happy to. I, I think first part is just calling out our engineering org and, you know, the ability to deliver uh, such as significant features on, in minor releases, I, I, I don't take it for granted and definitely our customers don't take it for granted, right? It's like the fact that we can deliver significant value where, you know, I worked in many other technology companies, those will be major releases, right? And, you know, everything that comes with a major release pain, um, that, that just speaks to the foundation, the strong te technology foundation that we have, product foundation and, uh, and, 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 and just the capabilities of our teams. Um, specifically within it, one of the reasons why I was excited, um, first of all, is just this single agent technology. It's something that we've been working on for uh, more than a year, uh, and just the, it's in preview release, uh, but just the ability to have a single agent managed by a fleet, a fleet of agents being managed from a single location, centrally managed, and one-click enable you know, collecting logs or one-click enable collecting infrastructure monitoring and then beyond that, one-click enabling malware protection, which is one type of protections that come from endpoint security. Uh, and maybe that ties, and you know, this one-click enablement, I, I think, is, is an important one for us because we're trying to simplify as much as possible the introduction of you know, our software to begin with and you know, how easy it is to onboard users to our products. But then the introduction after it gets deployed of new use cases and new types of data, right? It's like if it's one click to go and add endpoint security to a place where you were already collecting logs or infrastructure monitoring, and that's exciting because you know we put as little uh, constraints in front of the user when it comes to them getting more value out of our products and our use in our in our software. Uh, the other reason why I was excited about it is you know, we joined forces with Endgame about a year ago. Um, and, you know, we were whiteboarding the vision and, you know, the vision was let's take endpoint security and take that technology and fold it into our technology stack, into the elastic stack. And this will work because we also were thinking about a single agent and think of things along those lines. And it's, it happened, right? It's in the preview release. It's only malware protection out of the breadth of protections that you get with Endgame that you used to get with Endgame but it's happening. Like you can see how in the next few quarters, 
you would start to be able to now set, you know, deliver more and more and more within that foundation that we just set in 7.9. So that's exciting because we're delivering on our promise to our user base. So we're starting to show our user base that we really mean it when we say, when you observe, why not protect? And, and we mean it not, not just being able to bundle it together under a single packaging and pricing, under a single technology, like technology stack, but also in terms of ease of use. And just like in one click, you can go and enable that wherever you have the Elastic Agent deployed. And that's, that's exciting. Got it. Um, turning to the competitive environment, uh, you know, I think the open source business model uh, with respect to Elastic, you know, so that, that has been somewhat controversial for, for some investors we, we've spoken to. Um, you know, especially given AWS's kind of competitive rhetoric around, um, you know, their so-called Elasticsearch offering, which I know you, you may have a, a little bit of an issue with. Um, maybe just talk about AWS as a competitor. Like, do you think things have gotten more or less competitive with them over the last six to 12 months? Yeah, happy to. So uh, maybe a, a, a bit of a um, just recap of what we've done and which path we set out to do as, as a company. Sure. Um, so first of all, you know, I've been involved in open source for many, many different years. And I think the biggest value in open source is not the open source license itself. It's the aspects of open, just being having an open code, open community, you know, just being people having the safetyness and the uh, ease of mind, if you will, around being able to double click into a source code or something along those lines that like that open code is an important aspect. And then a free distribution model, right? It's like, especially we have a free distribution or a free subscription tier uh, for our self-managed, for people that download our software and run it themselves. Uh, and I think those two things are extremely important. They help create an open community. They help create an open ecosystem. They help bring everything that we have. And uh, about two years ago, we doubled down on these concepts. So we created a, a tier that is free and open, but it is proprietary in a sense of we don't allow you know, anybody to take it and run it as a service. To a degree, it's very similar to what other you know, companies have done, other open source companies have done with their licensing changes. Um, and we've put most of our development now goes into that tier, you know, development that used to go into open source, it goes into this tier and we think that we provide significant value and we think we strike the right balance uh, to our users and our customer base. Um, fast forward to today, there is a significant difference between it, right? It's like, even if you look at like big um, use case based uh, solutions like SIM in the security market, our input security, like at least malware protection, things that we decide to make free and open, um, they're APM, they're just big and significant and they're not part of the open source distribution. So we think that we're creating significant differentiation between AWS, Elasticsearch Service, or anybody that will take just the pure open source and provide it as a service versus what we can provide, not only through the fact that we are the creators of the software, we are the ones that you know, move fast with Elasticsearch and Kibana and just the core product themselves, but just because um, they just, they can't do it because of the, thanks to the license, if you will. And that has been resonating well with our customer base because the vast majority of our adoption of our software when it comes to the downloadable products goes to this default distribution that includes these tiers. 
um, and really users care more about free and open and the ability to have that level of freedom versus a specific open source license or another uh, that I'm excited about. Uh, and also it goes to the fact that we have very, very strong relationship, for example, with Google Cloud and Microsoft Azure, uh, where we are the official, if you will, um, uh, cloud partner around Elasticsearch uh, with both of them. And that relationship only strengthens, uh, you know, every quarter that passes. And we, you know, we mention all of the uh, investments and the achievements that we have there. Uh, so I'm very excited about the differentiations that we have across the board, including on a product level from a licensing perspective. I'm very excited about the differentiation that we built and super excited about all the innovations that we're bringing uh, around it. And if I can tie it all the way back, if you will, to your previous question, the elastic agent technology, the single technology, single agent, collection, fleet, you know, this, we view this as a very core capability. We want, we want have every deployment in the world to have it because that's like the foundation where we can introduce more into it. And that's under our free, open, and proprietary um, aspect. So you can see how even at that level, the, the differentiation is there and we feel good about it. And that resonates also with our community. So that's, it's great that we managed to, to do both. And, and you touched on this, but, you know, I think the way that historically you've differentiated <clears throat> versus an AWS and a pure, you know, the pure open source version is is through some of these paid or premium features. Um, you know, I think historically it's been machine learning or, or security features. Uh, I guess, is it, how, how have you noticed, like, the customer adoption trends of those specific capabilities evolve? Um, you know, I think... I'm sure, you know, early on as those features were just coming out, you know, maybe it was a little bit less, but have you seen more robust adoption of kind of these paid features, which, which are kind of a way to, you know, differentiate the product yeah. relative to AWS? Yeah, of course. So, I, I mean, the, uh, so with a, a few things, the first part is that the way that we differentiate the product from AWS is through things that are under proprietary license. So you'll hear us say things like free and or paid, and that's for the self-managed, which is basically what AWS can go and take. Uh, so Elastic Agent, for example, which is a new technology is under our free tier for people that could go and download our software, but it is proprietary. So it's still a proprietary software and AWS can go and take it. Our quote-unquote paid features are ones that we use to uh, move customers from free users to paid users on our self-managed business, right? The cases where someone just downloads the software and pays it themselves uh, and, and runs it, run it themselves, sorry. Uh, and that's, you know, that's continuing well from our perspective. We're happy about the, the ability to continuously, continuously put more and more uh, features into our higher tiers, if you will. On our cloud business, we don't have a free tier. We have a trial of 14 days and then just users become paying customers. So, you know, all of these free and open users, if they move to our cloud, for example, then they'll become paying customers um, because, because, you know, it's just the cloud and it's expected, I, I would argue. Uh, so that's exciting for us as well, because we think that as we make investments, not only in, you know, self-managed paid features, uh, but as we make investments into free and open, we're actually creating significant differentiation and reasons for people when they move to the cloud, they'll move to our cloud versus others. I see. Okay. Uh, and and I, I guess just to follow up on on the cloud piece there, because I thought that was a, an interesting point. Um, you know, you, 
uh, yeah, I think during the IPO, um, you know, one of the stats you threw out was like how much the Elastic open source or community version had been downloaded. Um, I think it was over 100 million times. It's, it's much more than that now. Um, how, I mean, I guess as you see the market continue to shift to the cloud and, and even Elastic's business going to the cloud with, you know, vast, um, you know, the, your highest growth business being SaaS, like how do you think about almost like a monetization or, or cloud transition, if you will, of those, um, you know, free open source or community versions on premise? I mean, have you, you had success there yet? Um, just how are you thinking about that? Sure. Uh, so I, I'll start with saying that our approach is um, a hybrid approach. And what do I mean by that? Uh, we want to be there for our customers wherever they are. If they need to go and download the software and run it themselves uh, for one reason or another, you know, federal customers uh, that have some security constraints, uh, existing applications that run, quote unquote, on-prem and they need to be monitored and it makes sense to monitor it uh, uh, with our software when they download it and run it themselves as well. We want, to, we want our software to be used. Um, we work really hard to make sure that it's a single technology stack. And, and that also is reflected by just the experience that a user has. Um, our, the experience that a user has at a core level, if they're a self-managed or someone that does and takes and downloads our software, it's exactly the same as when they go to our cloud. Like nothing, nothing changes. On cloud, on top of that, we can provide them a much better user experience, right? It's like we can provide a one-click upgrade experience. We can provide an easy onboarding, single sign-on, like all the things that you would expect from a auto-scaling, you know, things like that you can get out of the uh, out of a pure SaaS play, if you will. And we're adding these capabilities on top of uh, on top of our uh, software to make sure that when someone goes to cloud, they get this SaaS-first experience, if you will. Um, we don't push our users to go one direction or another. We actually found that uh, most of the times is actually you know, reflected by the customer needs. They'll come to us and say, hey, I have, I don't know, 50 applications that are running on cloud and I want to monitor them. And we go like use Elastic Cloud. Or I have 50 applications running on-prem and I want to monitor them. So you know, they, they might, they might want to run our software on-prem as well. Um, we also, when it comes to cloud providers, by the way, we want to go and be there for our customers wherever they are. So we run our Elastic Cloud and the customer can choose between AWS and Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud. And as I mentioned, we have a very strong partnership with Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud and also with, with by the way, AWS Marketplace. Uh, so that, that works as expected. Um, as a whole, if everything else being equal, and most of the time it is the customer that ends up pushing in one direction or another, but if everything being equal, we prefer our customers to run on cloud. We think we can provide them with a better customer experience uh, and, and a better just general experience of using our products. We can go and manage the software for them. We know how to do it best because we write the software. Um, so if everything else is being equal, we prefer our customers to run on cloud because of the customer experience. Right. right. I don't know if this, this question is for, for you, Shay or, or Janesh, but uh, just just a, a follow up on on the cloud business. Um, you know, I think the SaaS business now is near thirty percent of revenue. It's it's growing almost two times as fast as the self managed piece. But I mean, how how should we think about how how big this business could get over time? I mean, would you be surprised to see SaaS be the majority of of revenue at some point? Um, and you know, I guess do you do you, have you seen any conversions yet of of 
I know we talked Shay a little bit about like the the free conversions, but um, you know, of the of the paid, you know, self-supported conversions to SaaS yet. Just just walk us through how you're how you're thinking about that longer term. Yeah, maybe I can jump in and then uh, Shai, if you'd like, you can add uh, beyond that. So, uh, you know, Tyler, as I think about the overall model, uh, as Shai talked, we've been investing quite heavily in on the cloud side. We've executed really well. Uh, we've had a large number of net new customer additions, uh, expansion uh, as well. We've got strong partnerships. So all of these investments have been have been paying off. Um, and also, as you know, as Shai mentioned, um, we expect that over time, customer workloads will eventually increasingly shift towards cloud, but that really mirrors customer preference more than anything else, um, uh, just given the nature of how their own, own focus uh, and spending will evolve. So, so we do expect that SaaS will continue to grow faster than the overall business. Um, it's been growing at, um, at a very robust rate until now, and we've been delivering that growth for several quarters in a row. But, um, you know, fundamentally, we've the size of the opportunity ahead of us, both on the SaaS and self-managed side is pretty significant. So we're not trying to drive any kind of particular uh, conversions from self-managed to SaaS or driving any kind of shift in the install base. Um, there's there's no substitution effect uh, that we're, we're trying to drive. So I think self-managed growth can be strong as well. And we'll just see the mix shift evolve over time, like we have over the past uh, few years, if you Look at the trajectory. It's been a, a more gradual mix shift that's happened, and really reflecting how customer spend has evolved. So, broadly, we'd expect that to uh, to continue to uh, to be the the same. Uh, but you know, overall, we are still pretty pleased about the SaaS business, and continue to expect it will grow at a, a rate that's above the overall business growth rate. Great. And and I guess sticking on some financial questions, Shanesh, um, maybe we could talk about margins. So I think last year, the, the end game acquisition was, was a few, I think you talked about it being a few points dilutive to, to operating margin expansion. Um, you know, the, the most two recent quarters, we've seen pretty significant uh, margin expansion. I, th I think more than we've seen probably in the last, in any quarter of the last few years of the company. I think in Q1, operating margins were up over 20 points year over year. And and um, you, you had positive operating cash flow. Uh, I guess what what are the factors that have driven such a rapid improvement in the, the company's margin profile? And how, I guess how are you just thinking about the the balance between you know continuing to invest in a pretty healthy long term growth opportunity um, and, and and also achieving long term profitability? Yeah, and actually, uh, thanks for highlighting that year-over-year -year compare on the on the margins, Tyler, because um, mm -hmm. you know, I actually encourage folks to think about margins on an annual basis rather than a, than a quarterly basis, because uh, both fiscal 20 and fiscal 21 have very different seasonality patterns with respect to our investment profile. So if I think back to fiscal 20, when, uh, you know, a little over a year ago, we we decided to um, to accelerate our investments into the first half of fiscal 20. I think we added uh, well north of 400 people just in the first half of that fiscal year. A large part of that was organic hiring. Uh, a portion of that was the end game acquisition as well. And then as we entered the second half of fiscal 20, uh, we consciously slowed that investment down a little bit because we wanted to uh, digest what we had bitten off. And, and that was just the way we had built our plan to pull forward some of our investments into the first half of, of fiscal 20. And as we were entering fiscal 21, it's a little bit of, of the reverse because when we entered fiscal 21, 
the concerns in the in the external environment about COVID were were relatively high, and we consciously then moderated the pace of investment in Q1. Uh, and as we look ahead um, and focus on the longer term, we are now starting to increase the level of investment that we've got in the business, and would expect to continue to increase that over the course of uh, the rest of this year. So they, the quarters play out very differently across the years. Uh, and so that's why I think about margins really on an annual basis. And with that annual lens, we are investing towards growth, but uh, we also have strong operating leverage in the model. So as we scale, it's actually possible to do both, uh, reinvest back in the business as well as deliver some, le some level of uh, margin improvement. And that's what we've started to do this year. And you see that reflected in the guide that we provided as well. You know, as I think about this from a longer term perspective, our, our philosophy just remains the same as it was before that as long as we can continue to deliver strong growth and we see an, an eye towards um, investing towards the longer term, then we will reinvest some portion of that for the long term. And it's, it's a question of balancing both uh, growth and profitability. And then with respect to free cash flow, again, I'd say it's important to look at that on an annual basis for the same reasons, really, but there's also additional seasonal factors and cash flows can be just lumpy across quarters. We saw some of that in Q1 where we had really strong collections um, as one example. Uh, and so as I look at it over a, a longer term, you know, if you think about the trend over several years, uh, you'll see that our free cash flow margin has generally improved by, I call it roughly five percentage points every year for the past few years. Uh, the only exception to that was fiscal 20 when we acquired Endgame and had to absorb some dilution from Endgame. So this year, again, we expect that we'll have free cash flow margin improvements similar to what we've done in the past and then eventually turn free cash flow positive next year. Awesome. And I'm sure we'll, I assume we'll get more info at the, uh, the analyst day, um, you know, coming up here. Um, I, so I know we only have a few minutes left, but uh, Shai, I just wanted to kind of end on, on a couple um maybe strategic questions here. And, um, you know, I think you, you've talked a lot about how, you know, the, the nice thing about the Elastic Stack is it's kind of the, the, the same kind of common um, underlying technology set, whether you're in search or, um, you know, observability or security. And just kind of how, what, how are you thinking about M&A from here? And, and what maybe even if it's organic development, what, what are some of the areas that you're looking to add to the platform? Yeah, so I mean, first of all, I will start with saying that I feel like we have quite a long runway within each solution when it comes to internal development. Uh, in enterprise search, uh, we just released or just GA'd our workplace search product, which is, um, you know, a whole new fresh look into, into the enterprise search market to a degree, right? Which is like, how do you create a consumer-oriented product that can connect to your Salesforce and Slack and Gmail and Microsoft Teams and make all of that searchable, right? With hopefully with as, as little clicks as possible. Um, within observability, I mean, it's, it's the, the vision is not there yet. Like taking all of these APM and logs and metrics and folding them into a single holistic experience, we're all working extremely hard to go and realize that. And you know, that, that has a runway of investments uh, even in these areas. And within security, uh, yeah, I, I mentioned about um, the agent, but uh, we still have quite a bit of work in the same area, endpoint security, and we're just in a preview release of one protection out of many when it comes to enabling it within the stack and folding all of that. So within all of these three solutions, there's still a lot of work left to be done completely organically that we want to go and be the best, right, in, in each and every solution itself. 
Um, when it comes to M&A, there's you know, nothing specific or what have you. Uh, we're always being you know, looking around. Uh, and one, I think one of the benefits that we have as a company is that we have the benefits of actually seeing what our users are using us for thanks to the you know, significant adoption of our core stack just as a general level. Um, but you know, we have quite a lot of work in front of us as, as a company, uh, especially when it comes to getting into the security market uh, that we're very happy with the investments that we're making now. Excellent, excellent. Well, I think we're out of time, but um, we'll, you know, certainly appreciate the, the great discussion here. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more on, on the strategy and, and uh, financial updates uh, next month at the Analyst Day. So thank you very much, Shai and, and Janesh and, and Anthony for joining and uh, for your support of our conference. Thank great. you. Thank you for having us, Tyler. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. Okay, take care, everybody. Thanks Go. a lot for joining.